Thank you for tuning into the Hope When There Was None podcast. And here we share stories to educate you, to empower you and inspire. So thank you for listening and tuning in. Please do me a favor and share if you have a favorite episode, or maybe you think somebody else that needs a dose of positivity and to maybe break open some of the darkness, let there be light. So thank you again for all of your support and encouragement. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, good morning. This is Melinda from Hope When There Was None. I am the author of the book, Call Me Master. And you can find that on Amazon. But I've been reading from it the last few days, and I'm on chapter four. This, uh, and why read this? Because there might be somebody out there that can't have this book laying around, okay? I am a survivor of childhood abuse as well as domestic violence. And I wrote my story in order to give hope and inspire others, not necessarily to do the same thing, but to see that they're not alone. Perhaps you're in a verbal kind of toxic relationship. You know, it's it's how much can you handle? I mean, when I think back, how much could you handle? And you can actually handle a lot. Now, whether it's you're going through something like myself or worse, or again, verbal, there's so many victims out there that say, well, it's, they just say things about me and they're just mean. They say mean, mean spirited things or joke really harshly. And I can handle that. Well, after a while, it kind of chips away at you. It's like, um, you know, just somebody recently had said that, a friend of theirs was in a workplace that was toxic. And yes, I'm wearing jammies. It's a good jammy day in Indiana. <laughs> so just in case, I, I just noticed. And yes, they're very soft too. But anyway, let's get back to this. So um, she had told him that going to work every day was like receiving a paper cut. Every day she was getting a paper cut and just slowly bleeding out. That's the way she felt, like she had over a thousand paper cuts over the course of her time being at that job. And, you know, that's kind of what it is. That's what it's like. Those words, though they aren't physically a punch or a slap or anything like that, they can still really do a lot of damage. And it's not so much that, um, you know, sticks and stones, they really hurt. They get to your heart. Your heart hurts. And after a while, you start you know, really programming yourself to believe what your toxic person is saying to you. So again, abuse doesn't have to be with just a romantic partner. This can be a coworker, it could be your friend, it could be between your, your family, your family members, maybe your dad or your mom or so on and so on. Even your own kids can be toxic too. So it's how much can you take? I couldn't see myself going through another 10, 15, 20 years in the environment that I was in. I, I couldn't see it. It's, we did try to get help. We did do counseling and um, it wasn't working for us. Anytime we found a couple counselors, they happened to be women. Well, their women were just for, for me and against him. Or uh, he came up with just, he, oh, my favorite one was, um, she must be a lesbian or she's just a man hater. And like, there was always a reason for him not to like this counselor. So it was never him. It was always the other person. I don't know if this sounds like somebody, you know, but let me get to chapter four. So I'm reading this again. They can't, if you're in an abusive relationship, you probably can't just have this book laying around and the covers a little, and I explained the cover. There was some BDSM involved in my relationship with my ex. So the cover in the picture, Brian Gagnon, a friend of ours had did the picture with some models and um, it really spoke to me. Now, will I have this going forward? I'm going to look to get it published, not self-published, but going with a publisher. I'm going to revamp a few things too. 
so the, the photo might change to something entirely different, maybe something a little more friendly, because I, I know it kind of scares people when they look at it. They're like, oh, I can't have that around. I mean, it's not 50 shades, and I tried to stay away from that sort of thing and to get into too many gory details, but I wanted to be able to bring my story in a tasteful way, and um, I like to think I did. I didn't give too, too many details, um, but I've shared quite a bit. And I've shared quite a bit here. And I think coming forward with truth and honesty that it wasn't always unicorns and puppies and uh, not to gloss over the abuse at all as best I can to bring it in a manner that is um, is best. I, I want to say, let's say PG-13 to some extent. So, yeah. Anyway, let me get to this. So, chapter four. Trust in the Lord. This one's my favorite. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's Proverbs 3, verse 5. That's out of the King James Bible. This is, uh, I do like King James. I've explained that before. I'm not going to get back into that. But this is Till Death Do Us Part, 1992. So I've tried to go with this book. I've tried to go from when I was a kid and go to the present. So that's what I've done. That's what I started. So let me get to it again. Days or weeks would pass uneventfully. And believe it or not, we had some good times. Over the years, they seem to be few and far apart. In these types of situations, one has a tendency to remain on edge as though walking on eggshells, not wanting to excite or anger the other. Weeks leading up to our wedding was filled with normal nerves, tensions, and cr the craziness of weddings. I attempted to break it off with Will on numerous occasions. Each time I told him I was done. Each time he would threaten to kill me and my family. He would make it look like an accident. He would burn our house down. And that's just the sort of things that he would threaten. And this was a cycle, something he would always do. He would, no one would ever know how it was done or they would just think that you guys slid off the road or something like that. Well, that was enough for me to stay. So if you're wondering, girl, why did you stay? There's a lot of reasons. And that's one of them. I didn't want any danger to come to my family. So even on the day of the wedding, I wish for a knight in white, on a white horse to carry me away or someone to object to the marriage. I said those things that... I said those things uh, to loved ones that I was happy and that I was very much in love. I said those things to family and friends, but I really didn't mean it. I felt stuck. I was sick to my stomach and tried to believe that there would be a happy ending. Perhaps this was a good thing. I brushed off the little bleak thoughts. Now, when we're in an abusive relationship, sometimes we bargain with ourselves. Sometimes we say, oh, okay, well, maybe once I get him married, he will settle down. You know, everything will just be better. You know, we'll be together. Maybe once we have kids, things he'll change. Maybe once he gets a better job or maybe once I get a job, things will be better. So we bargain when we are in an abusive relationship. Even if it's not with an intimate partner, we have that bargaining that we do. So let me get back to this. After the ceremony, we dashed off to a waiting a limousine. The, that part of the service was included. That part of the <laughs> part of the service included a complimentary bottle of champagne. After we toasted our first glass together, I quickly thought was brought down to earth. After Will was complaining that the champagne was terrible, now he was sick and he had a headache. We continued to gripe the rest of the way to the reception. It didn't take us long to get there. It was maybe 20 minutes to get to from the church to the reception hall, so it didn't take long. There was a lot of complaining going on. After we piled out of the car, he grabbed my arm and told me not to leave his side at all that evening. I managed to paste on a fake smile and nodded my head, and I hoped to mingle with family and friends, but Will demanded that we take pictures with everyone. And not that that's a problem. I just felt distressed and worn out. And putting on that fake smile, I, I just... 
it took a lot out of me to do. So, I mean, to put on that cheery face throughout those pictures, I wasn't feeling it. You know, I was really, really, I just wanted to run away. I really did. So it was time to cut. Oh, well, let's see. He, let's see. Here we are. He tightly gripped my arm and whispered a reminder that I needed to stay with him. He still felt ill. He wasn't feeling good due to the champagne. It was time to cut the cake and Will advised me not to make an ass out of him by shoving it in or on his face. It would be very embarrassing for him. After our first dance, I was asked to dance by a few guests and Will greedily shook his head no. Any attempts from anyone else besides someone that was elderly to dance with was frowned upon. I later broke free and danced to a few tunes despite his intense glare, which later met with a big scolding. I went into the bathroom for a few minutes to gather my thoughts and to cry a little. The room was filled with people. I was miserably smiling and tried to pretend to wash my hands. I was a room full of people and I never felt... I was in a room full of people and I never felt so alone. Later, I was asked to join in a celebratory drink with a group of friends. Will shot this down, already accusing me of cheating during those brief few moments that I went to the bathroom. The night ended on a strained note and Will was still feeling ill. We both retired from a long day. I was thankful for this. I rested in the fact that maybe the stress of the day and tomorrow would be a fresh start. So maybe the things that went on that day were just a blip. So I was keep trying to talk myself into this. We stayed with his parents for a few months as our house that we had found prior to the wedding was being remodeled. Tensions ran high for us, and I confided to Will that maybe we needed to leave, and that was between his parents and us. Now, see, his mom saw a lot of what was going on behind the scenes. She, and, and even his dad, had mentioned a few things. You know, maybe he's being too rough. Maybe I need to talk to him. And that's what they would say. I need to talk to him. He's like, no, no, don't talk to him. So the tensions were really high. So I confided in Will that we really needed to stay in a place of our own, and he surprisingly agreed. So about a month later, we're on our own. Two months after being alone and married, we had our first fight and about, about me not telling him about bills. The laundry piled up and I was useless. He grabbed a full fistful of hair. I tumbled following while trying to grab his hands off my head. I was crying for him to please let me go. He snarled that I was a worthless spick, a pig and a whore. He was going to send me back to mom. He grabbed me to the kitchen. He grabbed me and dragged me into the kitchen and demanded that I stop bawling and call my mom to pick me up. He didn't want me anymore. He wanted her to, to get me before 4 p.m. or else. I managed to get to my feet, trembling and feeling stupid as I dialed mom's house. She answered pretty quickly. Upon hearing her voice, my, upon hearing her voice, I cracked. She asked me what was wrong. While trying to remain my maintain my composure, he was yelling in the background for mom to pick up my lazy ass. He kept screaming while I was trying to talk to her. She said, what's his problem? I explained that he didn't want me anymore. Could she pick me up? I'm sorry, babe. You married him. You two will have to work it out. Then came a quick goodbye and then a click. Will was watching me from around the corner. My face must have said it all. I was quiet. He said, what did she say? I managed to croak out that she wouldn't be coming. He let out a huge laugh. Even your mom doesn't want your sorry ass. He shoved me towards the front door and he yelled that I needed to go and he didn't care where I went. I just cried. I fell to my feet, to my knees and crying, begging him to let me stay. My pitiful form was just clinging to his leg and he demanded that I kiss his feet and perhaps then he'll allow me to stay. Well, I paused for a second, feeling his harsh gaze staring upon me, feeling disgusted, broken and unwanted. I bet, bent down and kissed his feet. Yeah, I did that. He chuckled and stated that I was, if I were a good girl, I would get to stay. First, he was going to lay down for a bit, and then he told me to grab a shower because I was saying I was a smelly, dirty spick. I stayed on my knees crying. Snot was running down my face. It wasn't pretty, so I just nodded my head. 
He kicked me in the chest with such force that it sent me reeling backwards, and he shook his head, stated, I was so pathetic. He walked towards the bathroom, excuse me, the bedroom, and slammed the door. I lay there for a few minutes, just trying to gather my thoughts. Just then, the door flew open. He rushed in as though the house was on fire. He grabbed me roughly to my feet and shouted at me, Why are you still sitting on your ass? Move it now. I, I This is really hard, okay? Um, this isn't pretty. This isn't something that I wanted to... This is hard to hear. This is hard to read. And this isn't something that... Um, of course, glorifies me in any way, because why would a person be treated like this? You might be saying that to yourself. Why would anyone allow themselves to be treated this way? And, you know, conditioning, programming, and maybe that's an excuse. I don't know, but that's just something what I did. I was in survival mode at that. Well, from way back, I started to be in survival mode. So this was normal. It's not that I liked it, because there might be some comments that, oh, she must have liked it. I didn't like it at all. Um, you don't like to be called names to be shoved to be punched or anything like that and a woman's not asking for it or a man's not asking for it and yes there are looking back there were things I could have done but you know coulda woulda shoulda and I, I can't I can't change the past so I can just move on and um, share what happened to me in order to help somebody that might be just in a situation like this right now where they're just newly married so they can know hey this isn't right. This isn't normal. And I can break free. If she can do it, then I can do it. You, and whether you have to be in a place of being strong, I didn't feel very strong. I really didn't. It took me a long time to actually say, yeah, I was strong. Yes, I was brave. I didn't feel very brave or strong. I felt really stupid. I felt very dumb. And like, why would you do this to yourself, Melinda? Why? But anyway, let's get back here. So I hustled to the bathroom and he shut the door behind me, yelling to get it done now. I adjusted the water, climbed in the shower, and all at once the water went cold. I attempted to readjust the faucet. My eyes were stinging from the shampoo that I had just applied. Will was screaming for me to get done. I hurried through the rest of the shower, quickly grabbed a towel from the shelf, and he was counting to ten. All of a sudden, it sounded like he was playing a playful game of hide-and-go-seek. I don't know exactly what possessed me to hide. I just dashed out of the bathroom, hiding behind his big recliner, peeking out to see if he was close to discovering where I was. I squeezed my eyes tight and silently prayed he wouldn't find me. I curled up into a tighter ball for fear and warmth. I was shivering. My tears were my teeth were chattering. <clears throat> the towel I had wrapped around me hurriedly was soaking wet, and I dashed out so fast I didn't have time to dry. So this recliner, you might be wondering, well, how can he not find you behind a recliner? We had a small house. It was a... Um, a um, slab house and we had uh, his recliner he worked a lot uh, construction working so we had the his big recliner had a sheet over it it was a big sheet it was like a um, probably like a queen size sheet over the recliner to protect it so if he came home and he didn't want to change right away or maybe he just took off his pants he would sit in the chair before he grabbed a shower so we wanted to catch any dirt dust debris or whatever from him and to protect the chair and let it last a little longer so it was the sheet was actually covering the recliner quite a bit that I could hide you couldn't tell that I was there and that's where I was so I prayed he didn't hear my teeth clanking together they sounded as if they were symbols to me the noise was so loud I swore the sound would give away my hiding spot my heart was racing he was yelling for me come out stupid bitch I peered again straining to see where he was without trying to give away my spot we had two cats and they were nowhere to be found and I prayed for God to do something to save me and I was crying silently and just waited again it's a small house not even 13 square feet and I was surprised he didn't find me yet I cried silently and just waited 
Sorry, I repeated that already. He was yelling for me. Melinda, I love you. Come on, stop playing. I'm sorry, babe. I don't know why I did that to you. I promise I won't do anything. So just come on out. I knew in my heart it was a lie. I didn't want to come out. I wanted to run out of the house and not look back. But where would I go? I slowly raised myself up. I was hurting. I went in hiding there. It would seem like an hour. I was hurting from the assault earlier as well. As I stood up, he appeared in front of me in an instant. He looked at me tenderly and he touched my face so softly. He asked, what are you doing, you weenie? Why are you so wet and cold? I blinked in surprise and I told him that was because the shower was cold. He shrugged. He's like, why did you take a cold shower? I shook my head in disbelief, and I couldn't believe the words that tumbled out of his mouth. He was so cavalier. I shot back with a quick retort. Will, you turned off the hot water. I heard you I heard you go through the access and turned off the faucet. He's like, no, no, I didn't do that. And I may have used too much water, hot water, before you took yours. Well, I'm sorry, babe. Come on. Come on now. Come to bed. He walked away, and I just stared at him, fully aware of the events that, that transpired. And I know knowing now that I would have to lay next to this man, hating the actions that I did to please him, despite the syrupy-sounding words of endearment on the contrary. Later that evening, he admitted that he did turn off the hot water as punishment for my disobedience. On the matter of how my mother reacted, I don't hold any bitterness against her. She didn't know the gravity of my situation, and I never shared those feelings due to the shame that I felt. And I know that this is something, hey, Miss Teresa, that a lot of victims do. They don't share with their family because it's, uh, first of all, you don't want to endanger yourself. And if you have children or maybe somebody else that's a loved one that's staying with you, you don't want to endanger them. So you are totally, you're just quiet. You really are. You're quiet. So there's a couple of chapters that I am just going to go ahead and gloss over for tomorrow. And it's not that I don't want to read them. You know, I'm going to get this one done real quick. So this is chapter six. It's a short one. My sister, Amanda, had commented that she had, she had seen probably a lot more of when, what went on between us because she was young at that time. She was, um, she was little, she was a little thing. Excuse me. So she had been with him since she was what, six, seven years old on up. So she saw a lot. He didn't have any qualms about mistreating me in her presence. So there was a time she had this, she still has this little teddy bear. She still has this. And it's been her bear since she was a baby. So she's kept that forever. So this one's chapter six. Again, it's really short. So just bear with me. Chapter six, never be afraid to fall apart because it's an opportunity to rebuild yourself the way you wish you had been all along. That's a quote by Ray Smith. Teddy bear, 1994. My sister Lynn was Amanda. She gave me permission to go ahead and say Amanda. It was really young when, when Will and I started dating. Will had a tendency to hold her and hug her, stating that one day she would be his bitch when he got when she got older. She would she had told him or I had told him to stop saying these things. She had told me that it was making her feel uncomfortable. He had always said to me privately that um, if I get used up, if I get too old, he would attempt to romance my sister and so she could take my place. I know, right? And um, by the way, I'm 12 years older than my sister. Yeah, he, he said a lot of things that were very uncomfortable. His popular saying is, they're old enough to bleed, they're old enough to breed. And um, he said this repeatedly, even when I was in my 30s and ready to leave him, he just, yeah, he's gross. So I told him to stop saying these things. These were making her and me uncomfortable. He would just comment that someday he would need a replacement for when I get old. Lynn had a cherished teddy bear. 
Every time she went to bed, her bear was by her side. At the age of 11, Will decided it was time to break her of needing her bear for sleeping every night. He took out a small hand drill and teased her that he was going to cut off the bear's face, cut the bear's face, by hovering the drill millimeters near the stuffed bear, taunting her and mimicking her. And to our amazement, he did. She and I were both freaking out. Lynn begged to stay to go home, crying about her beloved bear. Will yelled that I couldn't take her. He wouldn't allow it. She called. She wanted to call home to see if mom could pick her up, and he yelled no. She recounts that I sewed him up very quickly, and there's a scar of the white stitching where I had actually went ahead and repaired the bear. So that's her her bear's scar of her time, his time with Will. So, um, yeah, he had no qualms about saying things or doing things. I, I guess he felt... Um, besides bulletproof, but my sister was so young, he didn't think anything of just the abuse towards me, um, letting her witness that. So, and yeah, he's just, anyway, so I'm going to move on. I don't know what chapter I'm going to hit next. Um, I'm just going to pray on that and see where I need to, where I need to go with that. Um, it might be chapter eight because that's the trophy wife, but I'll be coming on tomorrow and uh, sharing more. If you know somebody that is in an abusive situation, please do me a favor and check on them. And right now, especially now that we're all under quarantine, it's so hard for many of the victims to break away. Uh, if their partner is gone for maybe a brief moment or two, maybe they can escape somehow or if it gets volatile, but anyway, check on them, come up with a safe word if you can. And, um, if they really need to get out at that time, or maybe it's a neighbor that you know that something is going on, perhaps they can flash a light, but get them to safety. And I know a lot of folks are just so, so um, set against helping somebody in the situation. They don't want to get involved. And I get that. I do. I get that. Um, but as a victim, now survivor, when I see somebody that looks like they might be mistreated, or I've, when I was working at the hotel, I worked at the Comfort Suites in Rensselaer, Indiana for a brief time, and there were a few cases where we had victims and their abusers stay, and um, yeah, I, I became very brazen and bold, and uh, there was one situation where there was a gentleman, the, the gal was trying to leave, and they had the police called the night before. She was trying to leave in the car, and he was just having nothing of it. He was creating such a stink. But myself, and I don't want to toot my own horn, there was a group of other ladies at the hotel. Oh, my gosh. There had to be about 15 to 20 ladies. I don't know what was going on that time. But there was all these other women there, and they were like mother birds trying to protect, the, the mother hens, excuse me, trying to protect their baby bird. And they were all yelling at him to go away. And um, I don't remember if we called the police or not, but he was sitting on the car, and I just came a little more emboldened to confront him but I did give her a card because I do carry cards with me I call them my calling cards if there ever is a time where there is a victim or maybe something else or maybe they're a survivor I give it to him hey if you ever need to talk here's my card so I gave that to her she never called, but I'm hoping you know I prayed that hopefully she got to safety um, she did leave him in the car she was scooted on her way out to the highway so I don't know whatever became of him don't care but I hope that she has peace and um, that she's safe but anyway I'm just kind of rambling on here I hope you have a great rest of your day again I'm bringing probably a different chapter maybe chapter eight uh, chapter six 
I don't know, wherever we're going to be, I'll pray on it. But I'll come back tomorrow. Please, again, help me share awareness by sharing this video. Or if not this video, there are several more or different um, encouragement, words of encouragement on the page. I'd appreciate that. And it's not for page views. I'm not looking for that. I just want to help people. I want to help people to know that they're not alone. And um, I hope wherever you are, you're having a great rest of your day. If you're watching this in a replay, do me a favor, do a hashtag. Fire. Find a little fire emoji and put that in the comments and let me know where you're from. I'd love to know. And what's your story? If you want to share that on here, you're more than welcome to because it's not all about me. Uh, sometimes words of encouragement and strength and inspiration come from those that are watching, those that are here following me. And I really, really uh, like sharing those stories, if that's okay, or hearing the comments, your story, so other people can see that they're not alone. So this is Melinda from... The snowy Indiana right now, the Midwest. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And, uh, you know, maybe have a jammy day if you want to, like me. It's warm and I'm snuggly and, yeah, it's a comfy day. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.